Chris, welcome to episode 218 of X-Labs, where uh, well, we're still at the Hellfire Gala. I think we, I think we're at the, we're over the halfway point, so I guess that's, uh, that's something, I guess. Um, let's get into today's book here. Uh, this is New Mutants, volume 4, number 19. Had an August 2021 cover date. The story is called Party of the Century, written by Vida Ayala, with art by Alex Linz. Colors, Matt Miller. Letters, VCs, Travis Lanham. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X's Hickman. Edits, Bisa White-Sabolsky, cover price, four bucks, and this one went on sale June 16 of 2021. Now, we open on the green carpet, and uh, we don't have any, like, timestamps here like we've been getting. I don't know if those were just for the first half of the crossover here since, I mean, the big announcement was made last issue, right? Uh, last episode, I should say. Planet size hit, we know about the Mars thing. I don't know that we need to be... So on point with the timestamps anymore, right? Because everything is kind of out in the open now. So we do open on the green carpet. I'm assuming this is very early in the gala here. Because, you know, we have a who's who of what's what. They're arriving for their fabulous photo ops. And uh, it's nice to see people having actual cameras. You know, uh, they're actually, you know, flash bulbs and everything. It's it's a nice callback. And I mean, I don't know anything about photography. For all I know, that's still a thing that, is, that exists. But, uh... I'm just so used to people just taking pictures with their phones. So it's nice to see this. Anyway, we got Warlock here. He's posing like a geek. He's got emojis over his head. It's kind of what he does. He's approached by some jerk-off with a beard. And uh, we will get more acquainted with this guy a little bit later on. Now, this jerk-off makes a rude comment at Warlock, causing him to cry in emoji form. Danny then pops over to accompany our weird friend inside. Double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred. Our characters include Danny Moonstar, Karma, Wolfsbane, Warpath, Magic, The Shadow King, Adelaide, Scout, Rainboy, Cosmar, and No Girl. Now we resume with Danny schmoozing and mingling with some partygoers. We see her chat up Captains America and Marvel, and they seem far chummier than perhaps they ought to be. Uh, it reminds me of uh, how I picture American politicians acting when they're you know off camera. Like, when the cameras are there and there are people around, they'll, like, hurl vitriol at each other, you know, for the people. But you just know that, like, behind the scenes, they're they're probably all drinking at the same bar, you know. It's uh, buying each other drinks and having a good time. Danny heads over to Rogue, who invites her to the after party. Uh, we got Nightcrawler coming over. He's plastered. When I mean, we already saw that in the Hellions, so props for consistency there. We've got a drunken Nightcrawler throughout the night. Uh, she then pops over to talk to X-23 and Rain. Now, Danny asks about the whereabouts of Gabby. Now, this is going to be a running theme for this issue. X-23 doesn't know, but assumes that she's probably off causing mischief with Dakin, Dakin. Uh, Rain and Danny then break away for an uncomfortable and kind of contentious sidebar conversation. 
It's worth noting that uh, Wolfsbane is not wearing a Jumbo Carnation abomination, claiming that she's not interested in, quote, strutting like a peacock for the humans, and uh, good for her. I mean, not only does she get to take a stand, but she also gets to not look like a damn idiot. Great. Now, Danny apologizes for not being there for her as she was waiting to hear back from X-Factor about Tyr. Now, Rain forgives her. She knows if Danny absolutely had to be with Karma, she likely had a very good reason for it. Though I gotta ask, I mean, Danny has been back from Otherworld for a little while, right? At least as long, to, long enough to be fitted for a damn costume. And she waited until the friggin' gala to check in with one of her closest friends about this huge life event? I don't know, that's, that's kind of a mystery to me. So Danny asks for an update. She's like, hey, what's going on with the Tia situation? Rain says it's complicated. Danny prods a little bit more, which causes Rain to kind of lash out at her. She gets in her face and informs her that, you know, Tyr's not going to get resurrected. She, he won't be resurrected. Is that what you want to hear? Uh, she doesn't know if Tyr's still alive, or uh, if he's dead and gets resurrected, if he'll even be the same person out the other end. Uh, and X-Factor really can't tell her a whole lot more than that. Danny doesn't understand, and she presses Rain for more info. Rain snaps, and she's like, hey, if you were here, you'd know. I mean, and what it comes down to is X-Factor did their job. All they do is investigate and give an answer as to their findings. They don't need to go any deeper, and they may not have the ability to do so anyway. Danny apologizes, then Rain apologizes. It's, you know, a big thing. They're, uh, you know, things are edgy. But before they can continue their chat, the new X-Men team is announced. So uh, we get a little bit of a break in the action. So from here, we jump over to an info page, and it's a group chat for the original New Mutants. This chat is titled New Mutants Forever, which was a miniseries written by Louise Simonson back when they were running those Forever miniseries, or I guess there was an ongoing as well, but uh, about 10, 15 years ago. The Forever series were basically if, if you know, notable writer didn't leave the book when they did, this is the story that would have followed. Of course, the, the big one was X-Men Forever, which uh, picked up from where Claremont would have left off after X-Men Volume 2, Number 3, and... Uh, Boy, a lot of those things sounded a lot better on uh, Usenet message boards than they did in practice. So uh, those were uh, not necessarily value-added measures. Anyway, to the info page. We got Roberto. He's annoyed that Sunfire made the team and not Sunspot. Now, Magic jokes that Sunfire will probably quit after one day anyway, which is a callback to what Sunfire did following Giant Size Number 1 back in the long ago. The kids chat, and they share who they voted for. Now, Berto, he... Voted for Birdo. Magic voted for Marrow. Danny voted for Sink. Rain voted for Polaris. Karma voted for Penance. Sam voted for Roberto. Doug voted for Tempo. And Magma, well, she voted for Sunfire. Now, this doesn't completely jive with the way the election was presented over in X-Men number 21. Over there, it was more this, like, weird melding of minds and consciousnesses to come to a sort of consensus. Now, this treats the affair as though it was more like a straightforward ballot-in-the-box sort of thing. I don't know. And also, it's kind of odd that everyone here voted for the, you know, only the mutants that we were told we could vote for. I don't know. I'm probably thinking a little too hard about it. Now, let's get back to comics, where we rejoin X-23, as she is uh, trying to get some answers on where Gabby is. She's trying to track her down. So, she comes across Dakin, Dakin, and Aurora. She asks if they've seen her. They have not. Now, Dakin, Dakin, is sure that Gabby's probably off putting cherry bombs in the toilets like the scamp that she is. Uh, I guess she's the uh, Silver Age Bobby Drake of the current yearbooks. I, I really don't know. 
What follows from here is a really awful little scene. Um, it's that uh, douchebag with the beard who uh, made fun of Warlock in the beginning of the book here. Remember him? Yeah. Well, now he's just being an all-around nuisance. He's irritating the New Mutants. Uh, he introduces himself as Barry the Artist. And uh, I'd rather Bernard the Poet. Um, but, I mean, I don't get what I want very often. He's very much the uh, straw man. And, uh, you know, looking at him here, I almost worry that they found an old picture of me for this. Uh, of course, that would be assuming that anybody involved in the creative process of Marvel would listen to me nitpick their work. Whatever the case, this guy is a dick. Now, Karma shows up, and she's wearing a rather stupid jacket dress thing. And everyone fawns over her, like, to, like, a ridiculous degree. Like, almost the way that you'd clap for a kid the first time they use a toilet. It's like making a huge deal out of it. Anyway, she uses her powers to make Barry the artist dump a tray full of champagne on himself. And this is pretty dumb. Off to the side, Warlock and Warpath chat. Now, James notes that Warlock is morphing himself to be the same shape as whoever it is that he's talking to. Now, James's uh, Jumbo Carnation Abomination has, like, these spiked Road Warrior shoulder pads, and so Warlock adopts some spiky shoulders. And they talk in a wildly confusing page of panels and art. Um, not quite sure which direction it's supposed to be read in. I feel like maybe this was laid out when they thought Rod Reese was going to be on the art here, uh, but it really misses the mark for me. What it comes down to is Warlock misses his friend Doug, his self-friend Doug. Um, he feels weird bothering him since he married Bay the Blood Moon. And James gives the sage advice of, just go, to, go talk to Doug anyway. And so Warlock does. Now this takes us to another set of confusing pages. Um, now the art depicts Warlock hanging out with Doug and Bay, having a grand old time. The narration, however, is a conversation between Amal Farouk and Gabby. It's very bizarrely laid out here and uh, really doesn't, doesn't quite work. Uh, maybe we're going for some sort of like a juxtapositional sort of thing. But again, uh, at least for me, it doesn't really stick the landing. So once we're able to stop paying attention to the pictures and look only at the narration boxes, we do learn uh, that uh, Krakoa has the ability to keep the Shadow King entity dormant. So the Amal Farouk that we've, we're seeing and we have been seeing over the course of the past few issues is pure Amal Farouk, not the Shadow King. Now, he tells Gabby that he knows that Krakoa's time will eventually and inevitably come to an end. It will eventually fall. And so, he's training his team of irregulars to, uh, to deal with this inevitability. As such, he can't have Gabby poisoning them against him. You see, it's all for their own good, right? Now, Amal's narration ends with, Goodbye, Gabriel Kinney. We jump to later where the new muse are on Mars helping James out of his carnation abomination. They share a drink. They toast to survival, new beginnings, friends, family, and finally to Mars. We jump back to Krakoa, where X-23 heads back home to check if Gabby's there. She hasn't seen her. Gotta assume she's at home. Well, she's not. Uh, X-23 is, however, greeted by Jonathan, Gabby's pet wolverine. Jonathan's got a note rolled up in his mouth uh, from Gabby to Laura. Now, Laura takes it, runs it to Dak and Dakin so they can read it together. Meanwhile, Farouk's irregulars return to Krakoa from Mars, and they happen across Gabby's dead body. Hmm. Info page. It's Gabby's letter. Uh, she talks about how she missed Laura during her time away in the vault and looks forward to hanging out with her at the gala, so this is definitely not a suicide letter. 
And, uh, you know, we're almost definitely meant to believe here that Farouk killed Gabby in order to get her out of the way. Now we leave with, uh, well, that one question we've been asking every time we talk about uh, New Mutants of late. Can Gabby Kinney be resurrected? Well, she probably can be, but will she be? We will hopefully find out soon enough. But that's where we leave it. Next episode, uh, it's X-Corp, but uh, we will worry about that when we get there. So what do we think about uh, this issue here? Well, I mean, our big takeaway is probably the big Gabby thing here, right? We're going to talk a little bit more about Clone Resurrection. Now, I want to uh, point to a line in Gabby's letter to Laura here. Um, She's talking about her kind of discomfort with the whole Krakoan vibe, right? Uh, She's not not really sure what her place is here. She talks a little bit about uh, being directionless, kind of playing into uh, a lot of Nightcrawler's concerns over in Way of X here, where maybe there's an artificial feeling of uh, belonging. And uh, Gabby, she was... Created as a as a, a clone assassin, right? So, belonging to Gabby is a or probably a luxury, right? It's not something she's accustomed to, despite the fact that, uh, I mean, she's like an adorable little scamp, right, with a pet Wolverine. It's her. She's had a rough beginning, and one of the things that she mentions here is that there's a lot of fluidity in Krakoan law. Outside of the big three, you know, we have the big three demandments of Krakoa, the, you know, respect this land, don't kill a human, and make more mutants. Those are the three laws, and those are the only ones that are really in stone. Everything else is very fluid. Everything else basically, like, reeks of the Krakoan government making up the rules as they go. You know, like, they didn't consider things like clone resurrection and duplicates, until Madeline Pryor died, right? And it's like, then it's suddenly, oh, wait, we should probably talk about this. And of course, Madeline is probably not the, probably not the best one to start with, right? Because of the, the, you know, the twisted history that uh, the X-Men have with Madeline. And so I don't know that you'd find a more extreme case than Madeline Pryor when it comes to deciding whether or not a clone is its own person, you know? She's kind of, like, way on one end of the extremes here. But unfortunately, the Quiet Council made this decision, and she was the example. And so it's hard not to—it's hard to, like, bend the rules to someone else without sort of kind of rendering their previous um, ruling, like, as kind of impotent. So Maddie sets the tone, but now we've got Gabby, who's been questioning whether or not she can be brought back for a little while now. And we have to ask ourselves, is, uh, are they going to make an exception? I mean, we do know they've made exceptions before Madeline, right? Uh, the, the Stepford Cuckoos are now back to being the 5-in-1 instead of the 3-in-1. They've made exceptions before. Of course, you got to be connected, right? Um, now, Scout is a full clone of X-23. And I know we're calling her Wolverine now, but I feel like I might confuse you all and myself if I refer to her as Wolverine and have to talk about, like, Logan Wolverine in the same sentence here. Uh, So X-23 is what I'm going to call her for now. Uh, When we're in Volume 6 and she is Wolverine and she's the only Wolverine, we'll call her Wolverine. But uh, for now, just to tell them apart, I guess I could call her Laura. 
Yeah, we'll just do that. We'll call her Laura. So Scout, Gabby, is a full clone of Laura. Laura is not a full clone of Wolverine. She's more of a, like, a chemical daughter, I think, because uh, she's part Sarah Kinney, part Logan. So she is more like a daughter than an actual clone, though she's, you know, cloned from parts of both. So for all intents and purposes, she is her own person, as much as anybody can be their own person, chemically and biologically speaking, I suppose. So we don't have to worry about Laura. We know Laura has come back already. She died in the vault and was brought back. So we don't have to worry about her. But as for Gabby... Now, this opens up a lot of interesting storytelling opportunities, right? Because we either have Gabby not brought back, which would be heartbreaking for a lot of people, right? Uh, She is, you know, everybody's kid sister, it seems, right? She's being very much, very much uh, portrayed as being, you know, the the silly little sister. You know, she's probably off putting cherry bombs in the toilets, or she's, oh, she's off with Dakin Dakin causing mischief somewhere. She's very much just a, a lovable scamp, and so if she's not brought back, I think that there's going to be people who have a problem with that. Conversely, if she is brought back, well, then what's Havoc going to think about that? You know, he, he, the the woman that he cares a lot for is not brought back, but Gabby's brought back. It's a double standard, right? So that could be very, very interesting to see play out. And uh, whichever the case may be, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes here. Uh, question about, uh, we'll change subjects here, and question, where's Tran? Uh, I mean, the last several issues have been about separating Karma and Tran, right? Well, where the hell's Tran? <laughs> we don't see him at all here. I really figured that we'd at least get, like, a, a panel or two with him, but I suppose we're gonna save that for later. Um, speaking of saving for later, uh, something that's come up On the social media, which, I mean, social media is what social media is, so (laughs) we'll just mention it to mention it. Um, People were kind of annoyed that Karma still has her uh, robot leg, right? And apparently this was addressed by Vita Ayala on Twitter, which is all well and good, but, I I mean, maybe maybe put it in the book? (laughs) Maybe don't make it so we gotta follow you on Twitter to find out what happens in the book that you're writing? And again, this is very, very soon after it happened, right? So there is a very good possibility and probability that uh, this will be addressed. Or maybe it won't be. I mean, maybe it doesn't have to be. But I mean, as comic fans, we kind of have this need to know, right? We want to know why, like, why would Karma come back, you know, without just a uh, flesh and blood, flesh and bone leg? And uh, I guess uh, what Vita Ayala said was that it would make her less who she is. And I mean, that's I guess that's a valid um, a valid reasoning, but uh, I don't know. I, I think um, a lot of folks on social media just want to be enraged about something, so you, they're going to be enraged, or they're going to do the the yas queen thing. So yeah, there really is very little in between, and uh, I probably shouldn't have even wasted your time talking about it. Um, let's move on to X twenty three, X twenty three for a minute here. Uh, there were a couple of scenes here where she. Vamoost before Sink could come by. I think while Laura was talking with uh, Danny early on in the book here, and she cut away to go search for Gabby, she did so right as Sink was coming over to speak with her. And uh, you gotta assume, or maybe we gotta assume, but uh, it stands to reason, I should say, that uh, you know Sink has this has this history with X twenty three now that Laura doesn't know anything about since she died in the vault. So I think this is gonna be a fun story that we'll see. Uh, 
that we'll see play out in Volume 6. It's reminiscent of the Jeff Johns-era Hawkman, where, you know, Hawk Girl was not going to, uh, wasn't going to play by the by the Hawk family rules, right? Uh, where they're supposed to be together, then die, then come back, then be together, then die. You know, the whole reincarnation loop. And she wasn't really keen on just accepting, you know, this as fated to be, like, in totally out of her control. So she, you know, she was uh, reluctant to, to do so. I think ultimately they did have them come together, but I, I, had, I think I had dropped the book by then. So, But I think that might be the direction we're going to be exploring with Laura and Everett here, and I think that could be fun. What else we got? Uh, I liked the group chat. I thought the group chat was pretty fun. I thought that was a neat little way to, uh, to you know, fit in more dialogue and talk about a an aspect of the gala that we really didn't need to see again on page, right? We didn't need to see panels of, this is your new team, and then see Rob, you know, Roberto, like, you know, slump-shouldered and annoyed. I don't think we needed to see that. I think it was perfectly well executed here in the uh, in the text page. Um, what else we got here? Uh, Tear. Tear. I still don't care about Tear. I really don't. Um, and I still don't want to go to Asgard if that's where the book is headed. I really don't want to do, you know, six issues of Asgard. I don't want to do one issue of Asgard, much less uh, an entire story arc. No matter how nice I'm sure that Rod Reese can, you know, can depict Asgard, I... Really, I mean, give us one page. <laughs> I'll take one page just to see uh, Rod Risa strut his stuff on Asgard, but I don't want to do a whole story. Um, finally, uh, I mentioned this during the synopsis, but the book was a little hard to follow toward the end there. The conversation between Warpath and Warlock was... I mean, it was a fine conversation, but the way it was laid out on the page was uh, not reader-friendly, at least not this reader-friendly. And finally, that juxtaposed scene of uh, of Doug Bay and Warlock, you know, having a grand old time while Amal Farouk maybe killed Scout um, in the narration captions was a uh, I didn't care for it. it. It it as I was reading it for the first time, I thought it was uh, like Warlock's train of thought. Then I realized, you know, that can't be it. And I was like, well, maybe it's Doug's. And then it's like, well, maybe maybe it's James's. Maybe he's watching this play out and. It really took me a minute to realize that it was Farouk talking to Gabby. And, uh, you know, I may be somewhat dense, but I don't think I'm stupid necessarily. I uh, I feel like this should have been a lot easier to follow. And I, and I get not wanting to show us what happened because this is the mystery we're building. But the way in which it was presented was, um, I don't know, felt ineffective to me. Perhaps to serve up a red herring or maybe just to lay it all out there. Maybe it is exactly what it appears to be. Uh, whatever the case, I had to read it a few times just to uh, to figure out what we were meant to think it was supposed to be, which, to me, isn't uh, isn't the best way to um, send or receive uh, story bits. I suppose we should probably touch on the art just a little bit before uh, before we cut out of here. Um, I mean, it would be very unfair to compare Linz to uh, Rodri's, right? So I'm not going to. Uh, I will say the art was nice. The art was nice. Uh, the storytelling. As mentioned, was just a little bit, a uh, little bit wonky at the end. Again, that might be my density. <laughs> it might be something that uh, you guys uh, felt as well. I, I really don't know. You'll have to let me know. But I think that's all I got to say about this issue here. Uh, mostly a net positive, I suppose. It's certainly not as good as Hellions, but it's certainly not as bad as Excalibur. So, right there in the middle, it's uh, <laughs> where a lot of the books wind up. 
But that's all I got to say about the book. Let's get into the mailbag here. We got a couple of letters to attend to. We're going to start with Damien, who's talking about Children of the Atom, number three. He says, I continue to enjoy Children of the Atom considerably more than you. I'm finding the use of different narr- of a different narrator each month to be a clever way of getting us inside the characters' heads. It seems increasingly likely that all my theories about the origins of their powers were wrong, and that they're actually technologically based. Except, maybe, for Carmen. I suppose Marvel science does establish that you can gain powers by exposure to cosmic rays, so she might not be a mutant. It may be interesting to see the Kota kids used to explore the actual difference between superhumans and mutants. It does seem weird that the populace of the Marvel Universe sees them as so different when the difference is very slight. And that right there is... Uh basically the big hole that I always found in the X-Men storytelling. I remember when I first started reading them and finding out that, you know, they were feared and hated. And I was like, why? You know, uh, we have all these other characters who have superpowers and they're not feared and hated. They're, you know, held up. You know, the, the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, they're they're like put on pedestals as, as superheroes. But the X-Men who do the same thing as them are not. It was always a huge hole to me in... There was like a logic hole, I suppose. And it was always hard for me to reconcile other than the fact that we were just told that's the way it was. You know, we were told this is how it is. So you just... You, you kind of just turn the brain off. You don't think logically about it or critically. And it, you just accept it for what it is, I suppose. But I still always had a problem with it. And I mean, if you're following the essential X-Lapsed here on the channel, we covered... Um, what was it? X-Men number 8 where we go, like, on a dime from the X-Men are heroes who are loved to the X-Men are mutants who are feared in, in, like, the course of one page. And it was just so forced and just didn't didn't jive. So much so, I mean, and they didn't even stick the landing with it because then, like, the next issue they were heroes again. And it's like they forgot that they that they introduced, like, bigotry to the, uh, to the lore. Very, very weird. Um, and you're right. I mean, the difference between them is negligible. What was the what was the issue we read? Um, I think it was an issue of Hellions. It was Hellions because uh, what's his face? Um, was it Reverend Stryker? Or was it Cameron Hodge? It was Cameron Hodge, I believe, and he had the right bots. Yes, it was Hellions, and uh, even the right bots were kind of unable to see what the difference between human and mutant was until they were told. You know, it's. I think that's something that we're definitely playing with here, and I do wonder if we'll see more of that in uh, in Kota. I, I don't know how long Kota is going to last. I uh, I have my uh, my hopes, but I will uh, I will refrain from sharing them here. Damien continues. I'm still enjoying Kota. It slipped into my must-buy section with Marauders, New Mutants, and Hellions, taking the X Factor spot as I have bought and read the final issue of that series. I imagine it's conceived as a maxi series rather than an ongoing. I feel that once the central mystery is fully explained, it will become a bit redundant. Yeah, I do wonder what the endgame is here. I think uh, it was a couple episodes I suggested that maybe, or I posited, I suppose, that this is all to get Carmen onto Krakoa. You know, um, I, I, I compared it to the Juggernaut miniseries we got, which just ended with D-Cell coming to Krakoa, and I don't think we've seen her since. I, I worry that we're investing this time and interest into this mystery that'll... I think it's already been solved, right? We we see them uh, using technology. Uh, in issue four, we see them blasting each other. We see them in, like, wingsuits. Definitely there's technology involved. Um, I don't know exactly what the spaceship deal was, 
But as you mentioned here, it might have it so um, Carmen was, you know, given powers during that exercise rather than being born with them and having them manifest. Either way, I mean, I'm I'm still not loving it. Uh, It does feel very much an example of bloat and feels wildly unnecessary. Uh, I think I I posited this recently, too. I mean, give us X-Men Unlimited back. (laughs) Give Kota eight pages... In X-Men Unlimited, I think I think that's about the right size for these stories. Damien wraps up with, Anyway, until you pivot the podcast into a crafting network, make my next last. Well, I tell you what, um, the numbers couldn't get any worse. So <laughs> I might be looking into that crafting network sometime soon because uh, your boy needs some help here. But uh, thank you so much for writing in, Damien. Uh, next, we got Andrew talking about X-Men number 21. This is Hellfire Gala. This is the introduction of the new team. Andrew says, When I read this book, I felt similar to how I felt after reading Marauders. I was bored, and I felt it was a waste of time. The more I think on this issue, though, the more annoyed I get. In Marauders, nothing really happened, and we were teased with what was coming in the gala. I found it boring, but okay, that was the appetizer for the crossover. This issue of X-Men is part 5, and it's just treading water for the next part, Planet Size X-Men. Why have some special one-shot if you don't even have enough story for the regular books? I mean, we know why, and that's what annoys me about this issue and Planet Size. There's really just three scenes this issue. The first one with Namor, I actually enjoyed at face value. I like me some arrogant Namor. It makes the rest of the nothing we got go down easier. And yeah, I, I totally love um, that Namor. Uh, I mentioned that I think Namor was probably the strongest Hickman character during his uh, run on the Avengers. I, I absolutely loved the Namor we got in uh, in New Avengers. Just wonderful, wonderful stuff. Namor being a jerk is just is great. It really, really is. Andrew continues. The second scene unveils the new X-Men, which was pointless since now it's old news. And lastly, we get a boilerplate Cyclops speech to Kevin Feige, I roll, and, Emma's, and Emma Frost wastes a few pages further teasing what's about to happen in the next book. The Great Hickman, everybody. And yeah, the, uh, the election scene, it's, you know, it's funny you mention that, because I was thinking a lot about it, and how sometimes, you know, Marvel, DC, just comics in general, they'll spoil something in order to get people to buy the issue. Right? You say that there's something big going to happen in this issue, and people will run to the store to buy it. I'm wondering exactly what it was about this election that would make Marvel think that they needed to spoil it in order to get people to buy this. And I realize there's probably an easier way I could have, uh, or a clearer way I could have explained that, but let me, let me try to break it down the way it, it goes in my befuddled mind. I remember back around the time of Heroes Return... I think it was Avengers number four, and uh, Avengers number three ended with like a, one of those scenes where it's like, what are we going to do with 45 Avengers, you know? And then it's like, oh, well, we need a team. So we get a team, and we're getting like teases on who, what is, what is this new Avengers team going to look like? It wasn't spoiled for us, but we kept getting these teases. Like, you got to buy this issue to find out who the new team is. And so when you bought that issue, you were pleasantly surprised or you were pleasantly annoyed. But whatever you were, you were, you, you were learning something new. You were getting new information. You were surprised. You were experiencing something rather than just uh, going to a website and being like, oh, here's your new X-Men or here's your new Avengers. You got to experience it the way you were supposed to. And I would argue that doing it that way would result in more, more books being sold. You know, if you had to buy the issue... 
Of course, I mean, everything is spoiled because everybody thinks that they're a news source now, but let's in theory say you could find out what happened. You could avoid being spoiled on this three months ahead of time, right? And you could maybe buy the book. You could find out who's on the team. I think you get more people to buy the book that way. I don't see what giving us these seven characters three months in advance is going to do to make people want to buy this issue. If anything, it's going to dissuade you because there's nothing to learn. And I mean, I understand the realities of publication here, and they needed to put the flashy new volume six number one cover on every damn website. It's like, oh, well, there's your team. I mean, there are ways around that. You could have blacked them in, you know, you could have blacked them in and waited until we got a little bit closer to the issue in question to start making reveals. It's... There are, there are tons of different ways this could work. Unfortunately, that is the mindset of old comics and not current-year comics. Now, as for uh, Kevin Feig, I, I didn't know who that was. Um, uh, Jesse had commented on the Facebook group about, I guess he's a director for the, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay. <laughs> I really couldn't give a rat's ass. I'm guessing the scene was him... You know, uh, scouting to find out, you know, what, what the what the X-Men movie is going to be. And what he gets is a very stilted, very forced, very inhuman um, <laughs> description of what it is to be a Cyclops. And I don't mean inhuman as in, like, Black Bolt. I mean inhuman as in people don't talk this way. You know, that's not language that comes out of people's mouths. And uh, it was forced, but uh, it was forced. It had no soul. I mean, uh, Hickman style, folks. Hickman style. Uh, Andrew continues. The issue only serves to tread water until the next part in Planet Size X-Men. They could have just taken what's in Planet Size and had that be X-Men number 21, and it would have been a nice big final issue to this volume, and it would have helped with the glacial pace of this event. If we're just wasting issues trying to get to an arbitrarily decided point where the big story beat must happen, then we have too many books. I think that's the main problem with the X-Corner of Marvel, one that I don't think they'll ever really address. They publish too many books, and when they try to connect them all, the story suffers for it. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, There are way too many books here. Um, And I agree that uh, Planet Size should have been X-Men number 21. Or just don't have an X-Men number 21. End it with last issue and just do Planet Size here. Of course, they got an extra four bucks or five bucks out of us, depending on which book we bought in addition to what we would usually buy. So, I mean... I guess they win. <laughs> I don't know. And they're going to always have people as stupid as I am buying everything. So why should they change? They don't have to. Um, why, why try to tell a better, more concise story when they don't have to? Andrew wraps up with, So until we get a book dedicated to drunken conversations at the Green Lagoon, make my next lapsed. And uh, we probably shouldn't even put that out in the ether, right? Because uh, they, they, they might try it. As bloated as this line is getting, I, I would not be surprised one bit. But uh, thank you so much for writing in your thoughts about the final issue of Volume 5 of X-Men, and I do look forward to sharing your thoughts on Planet Size as well. So thank you once again. Now we're going to wrap up with a little bit of news here, sort of kind of news. It's from our friend Evan, and he wrote to me this morning with a little piece of news. He says, I don't know if this counts as news or not, but FYI, the mobile game Marvel Puzzle Quest debuted its first Hox Pox Dox Rocks era character. There was an event called House of X that featured X-Men characters and used Hoxpox art, but this is the first version of a character specifically from the era. And the first character entering Marvel Puzzle Quest is... Call Me Kate, and she's listed as a marauder. 
Now, I'm not entirely sure what Puzzle Quest is. I don't know if anybody listening is playing it, but uh, if you are, I guess you can be Call Me Kate, or I guess you can maybe use Call Me Kate. I don't know if this is like a card situation or, or what, but uh, whatever the case, it's finally entered the Hox Pox, Rocks, Docs, Socks era. Evan told me that not too long ago, they added the Phoenix 5 version of Cyclops and Colossus, and the Phoenix 5 was from 2012, so they're not always on top of it as it pertains to uh, updating the X-Men characters here. I guess uh, I guess they're more focused on the ones that Marvel had movie rights to uh, throughout the 2010s. So, Well, now the X-Men are there, so maybe we'll start seeing them a little bit more prominently placed uh, for better, or in my opinion... For worse <laughs> But uh, that'll do it for today If you'd like to write in and be part of the show I would love for you to do so You can find me several different ways I'm on Twitter at Ace Comics Instagram at 90sxmen You can send an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com Or you can call into the X-Lapsed hotline At 623-396-JERK For blog posts and show notes You can head to chrisisoninfiniteearth.com You can talk to us on Facebook Our little group is 90sxmen and finally, for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And if while you're there you like what you hear, or at least appreciate the effort that goes into it each and every day, I would love for you to uh, spread the word and share the show. Do me that kindness. I, I ask for so little. I want to thank you all for sharing a little bit of your day with me today. It really, really means a lot. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.